Hello, Sublation Media viewers and readers. It's me again, Douglas Lane. In the last couple of weeks, I have struggled to understand two approaches to dialectical thinking, and by extension, two approaches to the philosophy of Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. That is, I have decided to make a couple of videos comparing the Hegel of Zizek to the Hegel of Adorno, and also to compare Adorno's theory of non-identity to Zizek's theory of the gap, or the parallax. And in an effort to make these abstractions from critical theory concrete and fun, in order to make these series simple enough for idiots like myself to understand, I've turned to the absurdist science fiction film Everything Everywhere All at Once to provide some illustrations. Last week I talked a bit about Adorno. This time I'll focus on Zizek. But to begin, I want to repeat two key terms that are often brought up together, are used as synonyms, but that are not identical to each other, and are also each used in a variety of ways. Each term has multiple definitions or meanings. The notion of ideology contains many variations that are slightly askew or even at odds with each other. An ideology can be considered a mere description or explanation, a way to understand the world and how it works. Marxism, liberalism, Catholicism, and even astrology are all ideologies when the word is used in this way. When used as pejorative, the term ideology indicates a set of false beliefs. From the point of view of a liberal, the Marxist would be a victim of ideology. And the opposite is also true. A third way to understand the term ideology is as a social fantasy that helps to maintain a given political or social system despite the system's failings, contradictions, or other inadequacies. You could be said to be living within an ideology when the world appears to function or when it seems practical, even though you can't fully understand how it works or justify what happens within it. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never, never, never let you forget you. For example, these days, it seems natural that people should go to work and earn a wage and then spend that wage on the stuff they want and need. Most everyone works in isolation, cut off from the other workers who they rely upon in order to live. I might make chocolate ice cream in an ice cream factory, whereas somewhere else in the world there are other workers making microchips. When my boss at the ice cream factory can sell enough pints of ice cream, but he makes enough money to pay me, pay his rent, and purchase the cream and sugar for the next day's production, I can buy my dinner, pay my rent, and pay off the loan I took out in order to purchase the latest iPhone. I never meet the people who make those phones, or who make the parts for those phones, and the people who eat the ice cream never meet me. But because we live in a world dominated by this sort of life, we usually don't think about how alienated we are from the people we need the most. We are all consumers living in a world of commodities. We receive our instructions from various ideological apparatuses, schools, political figures, priests, movies, and YouTubers. These ideological apparatuses provide us with a set of activities and attitudes that, when we act out the instructions, successfully reproduce the conditions of our lives. It is in this third sense of the word ideology that some shared territory arises between that term and the term reification. 
something is said to be reified when it is materialized or put into productive practice. The manufacturer of ice cream, or of any other commodity, materializes the ideas and the values that emerge from capitalism. When reification is taken up as a critical term, when reification is a kind of ideological mistake, the abstract practices or instructions are considered to be identical to the concrete results of their implementation. The best practices and technical actions required for the mass production of ice cream, when reified, become a set of social, political, and economic practices that are repeated without understanding the contextual, practical, or provisional nature of these activities and instructions. Another example of reification would be the way that ideas that justify monogamy or gender roles sometimes cease to be understood as ideas or our own attempts to cooperate socially and are instead taken up as natural facts. When we can no longer imagine the raising of children or the managing of relationships between the sexes except through various traditions and practices that are seen as foundational, that are seen as more real than we are, then we are reifying monogamy or the family or gender. Reification is when we attribute our ideological practices to nature, when we perceive the forces that we've set loose on the world as objective, as beyond us, as a kind of being rather than something we ourselves are becoming. I should give a spoiler alert at this point. What follows will refer to the plot of the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once in order to illustrate the difference between the Frankfurt School philosopher Theodore Adorno and the Slovenian psychoanalytic Hegelian Sovoj Zizek. In order to understand the psychological effects of reification and the mood of reification, we should consider the beginning of the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Or to be more accurate, we can look to the character Evelyn, the middle-aged owner of a laundromat who feels harried, dissatisfied, and resentful of her life as the movie begins. She is surrounded on all sides by a life that feels like she's lived the wrong way. Her father has come to visit and judge her. Her lesbian daughter refuses to keep her orientation to herself. Dozens of entitled and eccentric customers overload the washing machines and dryers and treat her with patronizing disdain. It's her feeling of being trapped along with her dissatisfaction that marks the beginning of the film as a moment where the ideology that supports her life and its reification are both on the precipice of breaking down. In this way, Adorno and Evelyn have something in common. In Horkheimer and, and Adorno's 1947 text, The Dialectic of the Enlightenment, the Frankfurt School philosophers wrote about the ideology of the Enlightenment in this way. Quote, Understood in the widest sense as the advance of thought, the Enlightenment has always aimed at liberating human beings from fear and installing them as masters. Enlightenment's program was the disenchantment of the world. It wanted to dispel myths, to overthrow fantasy with knowledge. And yet, they felt that the ideology of the Enlightenment had failed. The whole affair, the whole project for human freedom was breaking down and the wholly enlightened earth was radiant with triumphant calamity. Adorno and Horkheimer believed that despite the efforts of enlightened philosophers, ideology and reification continued to define their world. The material practices and belief systems that together 
produce and reproduce capitalism are even now taken to be natural. The struggle for human independence, for the development of human reason, has not yet been won. In the last video entitled, Everything Everywhere All Adorno, I outlined how Adorno believed that our understanding or concepts about the world, our ideology, when the word is used in the first sense, has three aspects. Our concepts include identity thinking, when we use a concept paradigmatically to pick out the particulars it denotes, rational identity thinking, wherein we understand the objects of our conception as those conditions that are necessary for the ideal existence of objects. When we think in this way, we take our concepts to be rationally identical with their objects. And Adorno also posited something called non-identity thinking, wherein we come to understand that our concepts cannot be identified with their true objects. When we realize there's something lacking in the particular objects that embody our concepts, we participate in non-identity thinking, or what's known as the negative dialectic. Adorno claimed that the possibility of thinking differently from our paradigmatic mode of thinking is inherent in that very paradigmatic mode of thinking. Especially today, the potential for non-identity thinking is ever-present as our concepts include freedom, individuality, and the pursuit of happiness. For Adorno, this non-identity thinking or negative dialectic held the potential for the development of a transformative practice or praxis or for revolutionary action. This sort of thinking provided a force for resistance. However, there is another, more modest approach to ideology critique, one with less confidence in our ability to align our concepts with reality. Slavoj Žižek, in his book, The Plague of Fantasies, argued that we are constituted by fantasies. A fantasy is a foundational narrative that serves to hide an insurmountable impasse or deadlock. The objects we desire to align with our concepts, objects that we desire to possess and understand and live through and with, cannot be had. Zizek often deploys a particularly clear, if admittedly sexist, example of a fantasy. He says, imagine you are married, but you have a mistress. Your relationship with your wife is cold or even hostile. All the time you dream, oh my God, if my wife were to disappear. You're not a murderer, but let us say that it will open up a new life with the mistress. If for some reason your wife does leave, most of the time you'll lose your mistress too. You do not really want to live with the mistress, but wanted to keep her at a distance as an object of desire about whom you could dream. What Adorno doesn't understand is how the non-identity of our concepts are integrated into their rational identities. We have a concept of love, but we can't find it. Not finding pure love, encountering conflicts and discord is part of what love is. The concept of love wouldn't work without heartbreak and strife. To take another example from everything, everywhere, all at once, we can consider not Evelyn, but her daughter, Joy. Both Joy and Evelyn are aware that there are multiple universes and multiple versions of their lives. In fact, in one of those universes, Joy and Evelyn were trained to jump 
from the one universe to another, to move their consciousness from one reality to another, in order to absorb all the experiences that are really possible across the entire multiverse. Their rational identities gave way, and through non-identity thinking, they were able to align their self-concept rationally and create the ideal conditions for a truly rational identity. In the film, this non-identity thinking led to disaster. Joy was particularly adept at jumping from one universe to another. She was particularly good at erasing the barriers between worlds and became every version of herself, everywhere, and all at once. The consequence for Joy was the dissolution of reality itself. No longer limited, no longer able to hold any of her desires at a distance, she found she had nothing left. She could do or be anything, but consequently, nothing mattered. And so she decided to put everything, all the universes, onto a bagel, an everything bagel, or to create a hole, or to find the void. She decided that because everything could and did exist, all that was left for her was nothing or non-existence. The story of everything everywhere all at once is a story of how Evelyn reimposed a limit on joy. In this case, it was the virtual power and meaning of the ideology of the family, the significance of motherhood in particular, that created the distance necessary for a new ideology to emerge. What Zizek points to is the necessity for mediating concepts that are not identical to themselves. The need for fantasies or for irrational axioms. As we consider breaking from capitalism and its reified ideology, we're confronted with this question. Will we need to impose a new mediating fantasy to replace the abstract fantasy of capitalist value or socially necessary labor time? Or can we align our concepts of freedom, equality, and industriousness to reality directly through negative non-identity thinking? If you enjoyed this conversation, please do consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons help to make sure that Sublation Media can continue to provide interviews, videos, books, and articles that are critical of the left from the left. If you are tired of remaining stuck within bourgeois ideologies and politics, help us sublate them both. <laughs>